are listening to IDEA, the podcast about improving data engagement and advocacy. I'm Brianna Wham. And I'm Shannon Sheridan. In our episodes, we'll be bringing you interviews from real-world data professionals who are engaging their researchers in new and novel ways. We'll also be reviewing the literature and keeping you up to date on what's getting published that's worth a read, or in your case, a listen. We hope you'll join us as we talk with our colleagues and see what's working, or what's not, in the wider world of research data management. With the increased focus on research reproducibility and transparency, new policies, practices, and principles have been established for research data management. As this area has and continues to rapidly change, we have also seen the development of research data management services to support researchers in adopting or adapting practices to meet these new expectations. But what form have these service models taken and what works and what doesn't? Many RDM support service models initiated in libraries, but they've discovered that to fully support researchers, a multi-stakeholder service model is really necessary because research practice and researchers' questions require expertise across research data management, IT, research computing, and security. And while many examples of these multi-stakeholder service models exist, there are still gaps as well as potential to improve on existing models. So to look at this further, today we're going to be reviewing an article that was recently published in the Journal of eScience Librarianship as part of the 2022 Research Data Alliance and Preservation, or RDAP, Summit special issue. The article is titled, There's No Eye in Research Data Management, Reshaping RDM Services Toward a Collaborative, Multi-Stakeholder Model. This article was authored by Alyssa B. Rod, Biru Zhao, and Mark Etienne Rousseau. So we were interested in looking specifically at a case study for this episode because these types of articles provide a really nice practice-based roadmap, including what worked and what didn't, generally around a specific topic. And we selected this article in particular because it offers a really nice case study for how McGill University focused on centralized and cohesive collaboration between multiple stakeholders including the Institution's Office for Vice Principal Research and Innovation, the library, IT services, and research ethics units to reshape their service model for research data management, to improve their support for research data management for researchers, and their engagement with those researchers around research data. So Brianna, do you want to start off the synopsis of the article for us? Definitely. So to start off, this article provides us with a sizable literature review. It's two pages, and it outlines various examples of service model approaches. And and just stopping right there alone, I highly recommend if you're interested in developing a multi-stakeholder or cross-campus service approach at your own institution, do look at this literature review because they provide examples of various institutions across different countries, institutions of various sizes, that have implemented differing types or forms of these multi-stakeholder service models, and they outline the approach that they took. But more specifically, in this literature review, they outline how libraries are well-positioned to offer RDM services, but they also note that many early adopters have now realized that you do also need infrastructure to support research data management. So not just having the training and support the libraries have commonly provided. And that technical infrastructure involves individuals and departments 
across an institution. So it includes other administrative units, the libraries, IT services, and research computing. And one of the articles that they actually reviewed here that kind of tied into this people realizing you also need infrastructure was discussing actually the stagnation of research data management services because people lacked skills and expertise to help with particular aspects. And so building out this infrastructure, and I think as we'll see through the rest of this article, is kind of that next natural step. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because they actually also specifically focused on IT services involvement in research data management support and collaboration opportunities that there are between libraries and these IT services and how you can develop that relationship and how they found those collaboration opportunities. And as you discussed, Shannon, that relationship is necessary because you both need the human infrastructure as well as the technical infrastructure to support the service offerings that are being provided. Um, And I think another interesting element to consider here in developing this multi-stakeholder service model is also, though, how do the stakeholders' background impact their interpretation of the questions they're getting from researchers or how they're engaging with other stakeholders? Do they have a shared language to discuss these issues that are coming up in the research data management space? And so I think something that I liked that I saw in this article, but also would like to see kind of expanded on more, is how are these stakeholders coming together to both and and understand the questions that researchers are being asked? And they did provide an example of this and how it actually can both see differences, but also allow experts to better understand each other in this article as they discussed how IT in one of their research questions interpreted restrictions around human participant data differently, slightly, but also significantly from how research ethics boards interpreted it. And I actually think this is a really benefit of these multi-stakeholder models is it allows for those conversations between these various groups to give that cohesive answer to a researcher. Right, because when you're not being cohesive and when you're speaking different languages, I think that can lead to a lot of confusion for researchers. Unintentional, of course, but like if they're getting one answer from you, a different answer from someone else, or, you know, researchers are comparing answers across colleagues having a shared language makes that communication a lot clearer and a lot easier. Even at PNNL, me and a software developer who are kind of in the same group, we mean different things when we say README, because for him, it's a very much the traditional README that goes with the software programming. And I'm like, no, look at this like metadata style README that we want people to include with their data. And if each of us talked to a researcher, they would walk away with a very different understanding of what they're supposed to be doing, which is not helpful. Exactly. So then moving on in the literature review, they also spent some time discussing the fundamental shift that's occurred since COVID, especially around the need to reflect on and design and adapt RDM services in response to this shift that has moved a lot of research to virtual or hybrid settings, and especially how that has impacted how people are designing and offering their services. Yeah, and I think that's an important point, and I know we're going to discuss it a bit further down on how they actually implement their service model, but I think it is an important thing to consider. I know in our own service offerings, there's been drastic changes with response to the shift to virtual and that most of our consultations now are offered via Zoom, and that's actually offered many benefits to us in things like shared screens and being able to kind of remotely show a user how to do something through that that purpose. But then also wrapping up on the literature review, 
They also included a section that I thought was interesting describing the current Canadian landscape related to research data management. The Canadian landscape has a history of volunteer organizations that provide resources and training in research data management, originally the Portage Network and now the Digital Research Alliance of Canada, as well as they have the main Canadian government funding agencies or tri-agencies, which have recently released a harmonized research data management policy. So there's this landscape across Canada for research data management. I didn't realize until I started reading this article that McGill was in Canada, and I will admit that I am less familiar with the RDM landscape and policy that's going on up with our neighbors to the north. But it's really cool. They, they do have a different history of research data management support and government-wide expectations. And they do touch on this tri-agency's RDM policy a little bit throughout the article. Basically, the three major funding bodies in the Canadian government have released a harmonized research data management policy. And part of that policy is that they are tasking all of the institutions that receive money from them to actually create an institutional research data management strategy, which I think is really cool. You know, here in the US, we are being tasked with that by various agencies in different ways, but there isn't this expectation of like strong institutional strategies and what you make a priority really can depend on which government funding body your money is coming from, whether it's NIH or DOE or NSF. I think Canada kind of has the upper hand on this one because I think that'll end up creating a much more harmonized rollout of research data management services and expectations and policies in a way that we're not going to see here in the United States unless something dramatically shifts in the coming years. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm really intrigued to see kind of what these institutional strategies uh, in Canada end up including, um, because Similarly, you know, being at an institution right now as these new U.S.-based data management and sharing policies are coming out, it's apparent that there's a need for institutions to take a role in supporting researchers in compliance with these new policies and the expectations of them. And that's been stated by the funding bodies as well. But that idea of it being kind of a cohesive approach or what you should start with or what it should be is not necessarily clear. And I don't, I don't know what that's like from this tri-agency's recommendation for these institutional strategies, but I'd be intrigued to learn more about it. And hopefully we'll be able to see, Brianna, when they actually start making them available. Because I think the article said it's really not until, what, mid-2023, sometime during 2023, that they're going to be expected to have these policies. So that, uh, that could be something that we look at in the future. So then that wrapped up the literature review portion of the paper, and then the author shifted into the case study of McGill University's Digital Research Services Hub. So first, they spent some time describing the staffing makeup of that hub, which was actually the result of several years of relationship building. There were three roles that they called out particularly, all of whom were hired recently during the pandemic. Uh, they had an RDM specialist in the library, a senior advisor for RDM in the office of the vice principal for research and innovation, and a director of research software who jointly reported to that office of the vice principal and IT services. And basically, their mission was to develop RDM services from the ground up. They also outlined the three primary service domains that were going to comprise their multi-stakeholder model. And so that included research data management, research software, and advanced research computing. And the authors also outlined 
here how to successfully develop this multi-stakeholder hub and the services offered by the hub. Uh, their work focused on co-creating outreach and awareness building, co-designing baseline institutional RDM training and instruction, and centralizing the management of user requests. So looking at that first area of focus, co-creating outreach and awareness building, here uh, it was discussed that this was an important element of the hub because researchers are rarely related to a single domain. So their questions do require cross-domain or cross-unit support, as we touched on earlier in the literature review. And an example the authors actually provided here was a question they received about software. So which software was appropriate for collecting an online survey? And while this question at first may seem relatively simple to answer, it actually requires knowledge about cybersecurity, types of data storage, and analysis options, as well as the use of coding and documentation standards to fully answer this question. So it's really getting at that you need this multi-stakeholder cross-campus support to fully comprehensively answer this question. And so to address that challenge of addressing this question that crosses domains, the Digital Research Services Unit organizes virtual query the panel style drop-in sessions where experts from the library, IT services, research ethics boards, and that vice principal for research and innovation office are all together in the same virtual space to answer research-related questions directly. And in it, putting this opportunity out, so this query the panel opportunity as a outreach and awareness building format, in their first year, they had nearly 300 users attend these sessions, which I thought was pretty phenomenal. Those are great numbers for, for an event. And I love this idea. I just did a data drop-in for Love Data Week, and I had a data engineer who joined me during it. And even just having the two of us really rounded out what sort of questions we could answer when it came to data services. Because it's totally true that questions run the gamut when they're coming from a researcher. And even if you are starting in one domain, like, yes, let's talk about policy or what you need to write in your DMP, inevitably, that does lead into further questions. And while I'm really happy to be a hub, and I think the library, is a, as they mentioned, can be a really good interdisciplinary hub, I kind of always feel bad telling researchers that I can't totally help them or I don't know the answer and they have to go somewhere else to get their question fully answered. And, and yeah, so I, I really like this idea of providing the space for people to all come together to make it easier. Of course, I always wonder, like, if they have a hard time getting all of those experts in a room... I mean, maybe it's just me and PNNL, but schedules are tight. And to get a hold of people like that from all of those different offices, I can imagine requires some very intense calendaring. Yeah. And I think another interesting thing that would, I'm sure, come out as you do more of these and answer more questions is who all needs to be in that room? Like, I know here at Penn State, we have many, many research offices across the institution. And right now, the best way to kind of navigate between those is like, who do people within those offices know in the other offices, which is not a great mechanism because there can be then kind of missing gaps in that. But I could see if you don't also have the right people in the room, but it could be the same case here, but it's still better because you have more people in the room that can answer more diverse questions. This hub also did focus on, as I mentioned, co-designing baseline institutional RDM training and instruction. And they did this in numerous ways, which allowed them to develop both scalable and collaborative research data management training. So for instance, McGill's library 
has offered workshops, guidance, training materials, and data management plan templates. The digital research services team together also developed and launched a self-paced online RDM learning program. We'll drop that link in the show notes. And they actually had nearly 400 participants in this self-paced online training. The training itself was six modules. It focused on institutional RDM-related policies and resources. And they also widened the scope to provide support and guidance for research software. I think that this is really interesting is this idea that uh, folks are able to take this self-paced training that connects them to the resources network at the institution. I think it's a really good idea because when they need that support, they can find it. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a fan of self-paced modules. And I think most of them were were short too. You know, we're not talking like an hour and a half's worth of, of time to, to watch all of them. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they were saying they were keeping the videos to like two to four minutes. Like it was relatively short, but gets people to the place they need to get to. I've actually had the link up on one of my, you know, 20 tabs <laughs> since we read this article and I keep meaning to go watch it. Maybe once we drop the link in the show notes, then I'll, I'll sit down and, and watch them. And then lastly, the hub focused on centralizing the management of user requests to account for the fact that it can be challenging and frustrating for researchers to navigate services and resources within large university ecosystems, which I can totally commiserate with. So to ease this burden on researchers and promote the service, they launched a website, thus creating a central hub for discovering and accessing these services. And additionally, to help deal with the service side of being a service center, the digital research services team piloted JIRA's service desk software as a digital ticketing system. So basically, it serves as a one-stop shop for researchers to ask questions related to digital research. They discuss the implementation and management workflow for their end of the process in the paper, and also provided the resulting data for those requests in the paper. So if you're interested to hear about how they actually implemented it, what their workflow looks like, um, they do go more into detail for you. The discussion section of their paper mostly delves into analyzing the results of their statistics tracking, specifically for attendance and the custom metadata that they enabled in JIRA for tracking their tickets. They did note that the medical and health science affiliations far outpaced requests from other users in other disciplines, and that most of their questions were related to research data management topics, but a very sizable 36% were also about research software in terms of demand and the kind of questions they were answering. And I just want to note that, well, this aspect of developing the hub, you know, the centralizing the management of user requests and kind of the, the infrastructure behind the hub might not be the flashiest thing. I do appreciate that they included this in the article because it's a vital component for service model success. So it really does establish the mechanisms for how these multi-stakeholder cross-campus service providers are actually working together and how researchers can best engage with their services. And it also allows them to assess how this changed model is working and where additional adaptation may be necessary going forward. And one thing I would be intrigued to learn more about based off my experience here at um, a large institution is, is this ticketing system separate from other workflows that they're already having to engage with, or has it been integrated in with some of their other mechanisms? Because I know that's a struggle we have is 
For instance, in our libraries, we're using one system, but our IT department uses another system. And so we don't actually have that cross path. So that's where something like this is necessary. But then how does that integrate with their other workflows? Mm -hmm. Or even just who all has access to it. I know at PNNL, actually we use JIRA and it's great within the libraries. And I know Research Computing also uses JIRA, but like, I don't think the two systems, at least as they are right now, don't talk to each other. And so if there's something that comes up, research computing, that's kind of more appropriate for the libraries, they have to like, let us know, as opposed to finding a way to just kind of make it flow and over to our inbox. So that would be, that would be good information to have. And so overall, as they kind of went through their conclusion, the authors really highlighted that collaboration was a guiding principle to this whole process. They discuss how this was due in part to the necessity of remote work, but also that it was needed to navigate that complex landscape of existing stakeholders and the initiatives that were already happening in order to develop these services that met users' actual everyday challenges in implementing RDM practices. And intuitively, under this guiding principle, they focused not so much on changing researchers' practice as an end goal, which you know you might think is the goal with engagement, but rather on their role as service providers to help researchers reach the conclusion on their own that they need to change research practices by making those resources available, by making it easy for them to get answers to their questions, and by providing the services that could help them do so. Yeah, and this is something I really appreciated in this article. I think I've said I've appreciated many things. This is another one. But this idea of highlighting that idea of collaboration as a guiding principle as well as the focus being on supporting researchers to reach the conclusion themselves that these practices are important. And so for the first part of that, the collaboration as a guiding principle, what that really is highlighting, at least for me, was the human element of developing a service model. So it really does, these service models really do require both human and technical infrastructure. And making sure that it is acknowledged that you can't just put in, I know I just talked about how important that back end, though maybe not the flashiest, is, but you can't just put that in and expect it to work. You have to develop these strong collaborations between the actual stakeholders themselves. And that understanding that we talked about earlier, Shannon, of kind of where are they coming from when they're answering these questions and what are the important elements of that to best support our researchers in this space? And then how does that then influence how researchers see these support services and how does that then impact their work? Yeah, I I really think that building out services like these really strengthens the amount of engagement that data practitioners can accomplish and engage in because they provide more robust and complete services to their researchers. Personally, and anecdotally, because I have no data to back it up, But I think it raises customer satisfaction because there's a lot less friction in finding answers to the questions you need, which then would lead to repeat customers who are more likely to use the service in the future or recommend it to colleagues that are running into the same problem or issues. And so I really do think that this model where you're engaging and collaborating with multiple groups across campus really strengthens your service offerings in a way that a solo practitioner, or even a small group that's centrally located in only one unit can really provide. Yeah. And I think another thing that it does is it takes that burden away from the researchers. So researchers are already burdened by administrative tasks and all the things they have to do. We don't want to initially burden them in trying to find help to do those things. 
And so it flips that burden onto those service providers. So it's the responsibility of the institution and the service providers to make it easy for researchers to embed these practices into their workflows and meet the expectations that they might have either from their institutions, their funding bodies, or their publishers. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We should be we should be letting the researchers do their research while the service centers support them. In, and I think that makes a, a very efficient model for all parties involved. Agreed. So should we move to our questions for the audience, Shannon? I think so, because uh, that brings us to the end of the article. So our first question for our listeners at home, what groups or units at your institution do you really wish you had stronger collaborations with? Maybe it's a group you currently have you know, minor collaborations with and you'd like to see more, or a group that you haven't quite managed to connect with yet. I'm curious to see what groups people think would be useful for their work. Yeah, and following up on that, also, if you have developed collaborations with other units at your institution, how have those collaborations been facilitated researcher engagement? So are you seeing an impact from those collaborations on the engagement you're having with researchers with data? Thanks for joining us, folks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of IDEA. You can find the resources from today's show in the show notes. Our theme music is by Scott Holmes. And a big thanks to the Research Data Alliance Interest Group, Engaging Researchers with Data, for supporting our work. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.